podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 12th of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. If you go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you can get 25% off at checkout regardless of whether it's the, the software or hardware package that you're choosing, you get 25% off. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. We are not brought to you by Bet365. Do not use Bet365 ever. Charlatans, scoundrels, scam artists, don't use Bet365. Paddy Power all the way. Right, folks. It's time to pick some winners and losers from the weekend's Premier League games. The first obvious winner is Tottenham Hotspur. Big win over Villa, 4-0 at Villa Park. But the biggest reason that they were a winner this weekend is because they won and Arsenal, West Ham, Manchester United and Wolves all lost. So Spurs were able to open themselves a little bit of a gap. Arsenal do have the game in hand. Again, it's away to Chelsea. That's not a favourable game for the Gunners. Spurs also have Arsenal at home, which you'd expect them to get something from. And then Spurs running is more favourable than Arsenal's is. So Spurs have given themselves a big advantage in the race for top four with just seven games left on their schedule. Second big winner, I'm going to go for Brighton. No win in seven games. Season really starting to slip away from them. Starting to look quite bad as well. They went three months without a win. They had a bit of a resurgence. Then they lose six in a row. They get a draw with Norwich, which, you know, not a great result. But to go to the Emirates and get a win, I think that's massive. I think it's massive for their confidence. I think they can still have an ambition of finishing in the top half this season. I think that is something Graham Potter will want. It's something Brighton have not done before in the Premier League era. So I think that's big. And the final big winner is Everton. They get the big win over Manchester United. But more importantly, Burnley lose and Watford lose. Four-point gap to Burnley 
six-point gap to Watford. This weekend could have worked out entirely differently because when you looked at the fixtures, and I know I did, Everton had the hardest game by far. Now, nobody could have foreseen how bad United would have been. They were worse in that game than they were against Watford a few weeks back when they were atrocious. I didn't think they'd be capable of two performances of that calibre in such a short period of time. But if Everton had lost and Burnley and Watford had won the games, they should have won because they were playing bad teams. And in Watford's case, playing them at home, Everton would be 18th, level on points with Watford, only goal difference between the two teams. Burnley would be out of the bottom three. But instead, as it works out, Everton have that four-point lead. There's still eight games left, so they're not safe. They're not safe by a long shot, but it gives them a good fighting chance to stay up. Their upcoming fixtures, they get Leicester on the 20th of April. They've no game this weekend. Leicester on the 20th of April, then Liverpool, then Chelsea, then Leicester again. That's a really tough run. That's a really tough run. But then they get two season-defining games, Watford away, Brentford at home. Win both of those and you should be fine. You should stay up. Um, Then they finish with Crystal Palace home and Arsenal away. You don't expect them to get anything from the Arsenal game. The Palace game maybe, depending on whether Palace have played in the FA Cup final the weekend prior to that. Uh, But yeah, Everton would be the third winner. So Tottenham, Brighton and Everton. Big losers. Arsenal are the most obvious example. That's back-to-back defeats against teams. They really should be beating mid-table teams. And they allow Spurs to open up a gap on them. Spurs, you'll remember, were six points behind Arsenal only four games ago. Arsenal have lost three of four. And their season does sort of start, start start to feel like it's slipping away from them. So, not ideal. Not ideal. And again, with Arsenal, you start looking at the fixtures they've got coming up. Southampton away. It's a game they should win. Saints are in poor form. But would we be surprised if Saints turned around and beat them? Then they get Chelsea away. Then United at home. It's a game they should win, but... You just don't know. West Ham away is very difficult. Leeds home, they should win. Tottenham away is is going to be really tough. And then those last two, Newcastle away, Everton home are games they should win. But when we take a look at Tottenham's schedule and they face uh, Brighton next, that's a game they should win at home. Brentford away, game they should win. Leicester at home, game they should win. Liverpool away, you don't really expect them to get anything there. Arsenal home, Burnley home, Norwich away. It will be in their hands. It will be in their hands, especially if Arsenal lose that game in hand to Chelsea. Second big loser of the weekend... Southampton, because it's just a little bit depressing to watch a team get absolutely rolled over on their home ground and put up absolutely no fight. If you concede six goals and your keeper is still your best player, something has gone drastically wrong. Drastically wrong. And I'm a big fan of Hassan Hootl. 
But when your teams get walloped at least once a season, I do have to start wondering if maybe you need to go somewhere else. If maybe your message just isn't getting across all the time. Chelsea never even got out of second gear. They didn't need to. Third big loser is Burnley. You get Norwich away. Norwich are awful. Haven't won in nearly two months. A win is a necessity because you know Everton have won the day before. And you turn up and produce that. Having, Having beaten Everton in the week, to give yourself a fighting chance, you turn up and produce that. That's shameful. Shameful. And I've thought Burnley would stay up all along, but I'm really starting to have doubts now. I think Sean Dyche has been one of the best managers in the league for the last four or five years, considering what he works with the budget restrictions that are there, how small his squad is, the fact that he's had a lot of players leave and he hasn't been able to replace them properly and he continually keeps them in the division. And not just that, he had them in the top half twice. But this season, he has not managed that squad well. And the fact that you're going into big games where you're looking for Veghorst to be your X factor and then you're taking away the best supply line you have for him in Dwight McNeil. I get that McNeil hasn't had a great season. He's also had Eric Peters playing behind him for a bunch of games. And Eric Peters is not a Premier League player. But what we know is that Charlie Taylor and Dwight McNeil together on the left-hand side works. It has worked for years now. They're an exceptionally good pairing down that left side for Burnley. And you're playing Cornet on the left wing, which doesn't suit him. And then playing Aaron Lennon on the right side, when Aaron Lennon shouldn't even be playing in the championship at this point. Burnley are the third loser of the weekend. Tonight, we have Champions League action, two games. We have Bayern Munich against Villarreal. Villarreal won the first leg 1-0. Possibly could have been 2 or 3. But at the same time, Bayern could argue that they had enough chances to score as well. At the weekend, Bayern were unconvincing as they beat Augsburg 1-0, an 82nd minute Robert Lewandowski penalty. They had moments in that game where they played well and moments where they looked like it was the first time a lot of them had met. Now, it was very much a patch-together defence, but I thought Nianzu did well coming in next to Upamecano. Omar Richards playing left-back. The guy's living out a dream. He's not Bayern Munich calibre. Yeah, unconvincing. And Bayern haven't been very convincing for a while now. I get that they walloped Freiburg and they walloped um, Union Berlin. But, I mean, the draw with Hoffenheim, the draw with Leverkusen, the the draw away to Salzburg, the game against Eintracht, the defeat to Bochum, they beat Grutter Furth. Everybody beats Grutter Furth. They're, they're not 
not to be disrespectful, they're just not good enough to be playing in the Bundesliga. They're a club that have done exceptionally well to exceed expectations. And they did brilliantly well to get promoted. It was, And it's a huge achievement for the club. But they're just not a Bundesliga ca- calibre team. You know, when you play 14 games and you have one point, that's... I mean, we saw Sheffield United last season. You know, they've picked up, they've picked up in the second half of the season and credit to them. But at no point have they moved off the bottom of the table. They are 10 points from the team one spot above them. 10 points with five games left. They will be gone after the next game in all likelihood. They lose and either Armenia Belfield or Hertha Berlin win. Now, it's not necessarily likely that they'll win either, but they will be they will be gone with four games left. They're they're not a Bundesliga caliber team. Bayern have not looked great in the last two months or so. They're capable when things click of smashing teams like they did to Freiburg, but it just doesn't click often enough for them. I say this as they'll probably put six past Villarreal, but. That's just the the reality of what Bayern have been for the last little while. They're still a great team. They've got great players. But I do have big question marks over that central defence. I think Upamecano has huge potential in a back three, as the middle one in a back three, not in a back four. Now, luckily enough for Julian Nagelsmann, Nianzu... And Lucas Hernandez were born to play in a back three. You put them either side of Upamecano, and that could be a really special back three. Uh, Alfonso Davies is absolutely more a wing back than full back, but they don't have a right wing back unless they want to use Serge Gnabry or Kingsley Coleman there. And the problem is, if you play a back three, you can't play a front four, and they have to play a front four. Because Lewandowski has to play, Muller has to play, and you've got to get two of those three wingers on the pitch. Coleman, Gnabry and Leroy Sané. Now they could, they could play one of the right-footed wingers at right wing back and then Sané and Muller either side of Lewandowski. You could try that with Goretzka and Kimmich in midfield and that could be really special, but I don't know that the... There's a disconnect between what that defence needs to be and what that attack is at its best. At its best, that attack is a 4-2-3-1. At its best, that defence is a back three, lacking a right wing back. The biggest thing they've got to go and get this summer is a right wing back. Now, it does look like they're going to get um, Nazir Mizrahi from Ajax, and he'll be a great addition for them. But he's not hes not a wing-back. He's a full-back. So you could play Kimmich there, I suppose. If they do buy Ryan Gravenberch, you could move Kimmich and play Goretzka and Gravenberch as a midfield too, maybe. Still. Still, it's, it's, it's ill-fitting. Uh, Villarreal having themselves 
a decent season, but they are currently outside of the European spots in the La Liga table. Lots of draws, as is the way, with uh, our friend Unai Emery. 10 overall, 12 wins, 9 defeats. Uh, They drew 1-1 with Athletic Bilbao at the weekend. Uh, Pedraza equalising for Villarreal after Raul Garcia, who somehow, somehow is still knocking about, uh, had put Bilbao one up. He is 35 35. He was at Atletico Madrid for years, having joined from Osasuna. There was a big kerfuffle over it because having been with Osasuna, the expectation was he would go to Bilbao. Atleti stole him. Bilbao didn't forgive them. And there's been quite a bit of griping over his career. But he's a good. he was a good player. He's still a contributing player for Bilbao. But that's off the point. Uh, Villarreal... They're fun at times when they can escape the Emery clutches. But, I mean, they lose some bad games. I mean, in the last five weeks, they've lost to Osasuna, Cadiz and Levante. They're not games, a team with European ambitions, a team who are still in the Champions League, should be losing. Uh Levante and Cadiz are both in the bottom three. Osasuna, now to be fair, they're 10th, but still, you should be beating them. They also lost to Elche, who are four points outside the relegation zone since January. That's not great. That's not great. That's three shocking defeats. But yeah, um, they won't make it easy for Bayern. We know that they won't make it easy for Bayern. It should be a good game. I do expect Bayern to go through, but Villarreal won't make it easy. The other game then is Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Obviously, Real 3-1 up from the first leg. That bends them a hat-trick. They won again at the weekend, Casemiro and Lucas Vasquez, with the goals as they beat Hatafe 2-0. They are marching towards the league title. 12 points clear of Barcelona. Barca do have a game in hand, but 12 points clear. It is over. They have seven games left. Um, they will win the title at a canter. Sevilla away. Osasuna away is a win. Espanyol home is a win. Levante, Cadiz, their wins. They will win the title at a canter. And they are looking to do the double this year. They are very much in the mix to win this Champions League. They are... They're just so experienced. Like, you look at their their team and you've got Thibaut Courtois, who's been there, seen it, done most things in the game. Danny Carvial at right back, four-time Champions League winner. Eder Militao, one of the more inexperienced players, but he's still being around, been around a while. Uh, obviously, very good centre-back. He's suspended for tonight. So you'd imagine it's Nacho who comes in for him. David Alaba will be the other centre-back. He's been around, done it all with Bayern, two-time Champions League winner. Uh, Ferland Mendy probably starts left back. If it's not him, it'll be Marcelo, who obviously is a four-time Champions League winner. The midfield will be Cruz, Casemiro and Modric, you'd imagine. Again, all four-time Champions League winners. Um, and up front, it'll be Benzema, again, four-time Champions League winner. With 
I'm not sure who either side. I, I'm guessing Vinicius Jr. will start because he's been the second best player in attack this season after Benzema. The other role, though, it could be Rodrigo. He doesn't offer much in terms of goals or certainly hasn't this season. Uh, Gareth Bale played a bit recently, so maybe it's him. Uh, I believe Eden Hazard is done for the season, so it won't be him, but he's offered absolutely nothing since joining. Uh, it may be that Fede Valverde starts in the front three again, as he did in the first leg, and he can drop into midfield. That's probably the where the smart money goes. But Asensio is another option. He's got eight goals in the league, 10 in all competitions this season. So he does offer a bit of a goal threat, whereas Valverde doesn't. Um, but either way, it's going to be a really strong Real Madrid team waiting for Chelsea. Chelsea obviously hammered Southampton at the weekend, 6-0. Very, very comfortable result. Timo Werner looked really good in the game. That was my big takeaway from it, was that he looked more like Leipzig Timo Werner. And he was playing with a confidence. Now, he still hit the post twice and the crossbar. But he did score two goals. And he did dribble his way through that Southampton defence a few times in what was reminiscent of the player he was at Leipzig. Uh, No Lukaku. He has a heel injury or something. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing, though it would have been nice to have him as a late option off the bench if you were chasing a goal. But Kai Havertz, as the the false nine or number nine, whichever way you want to look at it, is the better option for them. Put pace and movement around him. It'll likely be Mount plus one. I think Werner earned the start based on how he played at the weekend. You get Pulisic off the bench. You've got Zayic as an option there. Chelsea aren't to be written off. They aren't to be written off. They're the reigning defending Champions League holders. Do not write them off. I expect Real to go through, but it wouldn't surprise me if Chelsea won this game, but Real went through an aggregate. I do have a tough time seeing Chelsea win by two clear goals. I could see them winning 3-2 and going out somewhat heroically, but I have a tough time seeing them beat Real by two clear goals at the Bernabeu. Uh, We have some breaking news. Fernandinho has confirmed his exit from Manchester City at the end of the season. He says he will return to Brazil. That is a decision he has made with his family. He wants to play. Uh, He's only started a handful of games for City this season. Six in the Premier League, a couple in the Cups in Europe. But at 36, 37, he wants to go out playing, and that's understandable. But that will be the end of an era for Manchester City. That will be the last tie to that first City title-winning group gone. It's more leadership out the door at City. Again, another, another club captain leaving. Yaya went. Company went. Silva, Aguero, and now Fernandinho. That's the five pillars of that Pellegrini team. I don't think Fernandinho was there for the first title, if I'm correct. It was Nigel De Jong in the holding midfield role. But Fernandinho obviously raised the level when he went there. Uh, Those five were the core of that team, along with the likes of Zabaleta, who who was very important as well. 
But that is that is the end of an era for City once he's gone. Now, obviously, there's still going to be great players there, but you do just wonder about a lack of leadership in the squad. Rodri has replaced him brilliantly as a player. There's no doubt. The level on the pitch has not dropped. But maybe, maybe losing his influence could affect them in a negative way. We'll wait and see. He is the master of the dark arts. He is arguably the greatest fouler in Premier League history. Uh, the tactical foul should really be renamed the Fernandinho. I did think it was hilarious watching the game at the weekend, the City-Liverpool game. Liverpool with some tactical fouling here and there. And Pep losing his mind over these, these crimes being committed against his team when his team have been for years the masters of the, the cynical foul, the professional foul, that little tug of a shirt on the halfway line to start a counterattack. That is Pep Guardiola 101. And he was furious that Liverpool were doing it to him. Um, Fernandinho is... He, he will not be talked about in the same conversations as the likes of Vieira and Keane. But after Vieira and Keane and Gilberto Silva, I'd struggle to name a better holding midfielder in the Premier League era. I would put him above Makaleli. I'd put him above Didi Haman. He's got longevity on Mascherano, even though Mascherano was a better player than him. He's got longevity on Gilberto Silva, but I, I, Gilberto Silva was really, really special. As a defensive midfielder, I think he's number four all time in the Premier League. Angolo Kante isn't really a defensive midfielder, but if you want to put him in, I could understand you putting him in over Fernandinho. Now, my argument will always be that Fernandinho could be the holder or he could play in a two and go box to box. The same thing with Keane, the same thing with Vieira. Silva would only be the sitter, but that's more prominent and more prevalent for a holding midfielder than someone like Kante who can't be that holder. Kante in a two is the one going box to box. He's not a holding midfielder. Um, but if you want to put Kante above Ferdinand, that's fine. Either way, he's top five. At worst, he's top five. I have him, I have him top four. Um, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we have two questions that I didn't get to last week. Um, so I'm, I've got, I've actually had to do some work ahead of this podcast. I've got questions from MBQ and from Alex. So back in a sec with those. Right, welcome back. So... Two questions. First one from Alex Sapopo. 
I've probably butchered your name, buddy. And if I have, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm dreadful with pronunciations and names. I really am. But Alex asks, I was wondering if you could pick a current manager from outside the Premier League to take over each Premier League team. Could be a stylistic match for successful teams or someone to take struggling teams in a different direction. Right. So I've ignored basically what's going on in the media. I've ignored the fact that certain managers might not want to, you know, leave their current clubs. I've just gone and picked managers that I think would fit well at the Premier League clubs. So for City, I think Eric Ten Hag is the most obvious choice. I did toy around with Nagelsmann, but I still have big question marks over Nagelsmann. There's no doubt he's an excellent coach but he's still a little bit too unsure of himself or maybe too sure of himself. I'm not sure which one it is. I think Ten Hag is a safer bet. He's also worked with Pep before, and I think that's an easier transition. Plus, he's also bold. Um, For Liverpool, I've got Hansi Flick. I think he's the the best choice to succeed Jurgen Klopp. I think he works in a similar way. I think he's got similar enough beliefs and uh, fundamental processes about the game that make him a good fit for Liverpool. I think he'd change the shape, but I think the system would remain largely the same. That high line, aggressive pressing, certain differences in his transitional play. But I do think Hansi Flick makes the most sense. For Chelsea, this is the hardest one because it's very hard to pick Chelsea managers because of the expectation. Now, obviously things are going to change when new owners come in, but I was basing this on Roman. Roman wants a winner. Now, he does also want a winner who plays nice football. I'm sorry, Roman, I can't accommodate that. I've given you Diego Simeone. He will win. He will win. He will force you to exercise the buyback clauses on certain defenders you've sold in recent years, but he will win. For Spurs, playing a back three suits them. Playing the style of football they're currently playing suits them. So I went with a manager who's got, again, similar enough tactical fundamentals to Antonio Conte. He's more attack-minded than Conte. His style of play is maybe a little bit better on the eye, but I think Ruben Amaram would make a lot of sense. Uh, For Arsenal... I wanted someone with a track record of developing elite young players, someone with a track record of playing expansive football. So I've gone for Roberto De Serbi, currently at Shakhtar Donetsk. The work he did at Sassuolo was outstanding. And if you look at the development in the likes of Jeremy Boga and even Domenico Berardi under him, I don't think you can be anything other than impressed. So I've gone for him. For West Ham, you're replacing Moyes. So you want someone who's pragmatic. You want someone who gets the most out of what he's got. You want someone who builds on a defensive foundation and isn't going to overextend his players by asking too much of them. Ernesto Valverde, two-time La Liga winner with Barcelona, but some of his more impressive work came before that with Athletic Bilbao. Kind of saw them through a bit of a dark spell where the talent level wasn't where 
it has been in other eras for Bilbao. I think Valverde will have success anywhere. It amazes me that he's still out of work. I don't understand why United didn't appoint him when they appointed the current fella. Because I think if they'd appointed Valverde, they'd already have signed him up for the next couple of years because I think he'd have gotten them top four. He would have found a way to make that work. He gets something out of every player. For United, I've gone with Julian Lopetegui, one of the more adaptable coaches in European football, someone with, again, a track record of developing young players, a track record of turning lemons into lemonade, can get every last ounce out of players. Like, Jesus Navas was washed four years ago. He's the starting right back for Lopetegui. And he's decent. He's not like he's a train wreck there. He's decent. And he's a a guy who can just adapt to situations. So, you know, he has Regulon. Regulon gets sold. He's bought a lesser left back. He just changes how the team operates so they're less reliant on that player. He gets thrown these players that don't necessarily fit what he already has. He finds ways to make them work. I think Lopetegui would be a success at Manchester United. I would have him for United over Ten Hag. Uh, For Wolves, you're replacing a smart, tactically flexible manager. You want another smart, tactically flexible manager. Of course, you've got to tick that Portuguese box. Abel Ferreira, guys won two Copa Libertadores with Palmieri's. He's He's an outstanding coach. An outstanding coach. And he also goes under the radar, the radar similar to Bruno Lage. For Leicester, you've got a lot of attacking talent there. You've had a manager, or you have a manager at the moment in Brendan Rodgers, who's not particularly good defensively. Sione is Gerard, uh, Gerardo Sione is who, who have gone for here, currently at Bayer Leverkusen. I think he's a bit better than Rodgers defensively but he's got similar enough leanings towards being much more of an attack-minded coach. Gets the best out of young players, gets the best of everybody. And I think if you look at what Leicester have, that's a squad that's well-suited to how he would want to play. So I'm happy to go with him. Uh, For Crystal Palace, you're replacing Vieira. One of the big fundamental things Vieira has brought to Palace this season is their pressing. I've gone for Marco Rose. I haven't been hugely impressed with what he's done at Dortmund, but I was very impressed with him at Salzburg and at Gladbach up until he made the announcement that he was leaving, or the announcement was made that he was leaving. He didn't make it. Gladbach did. Then he sort of tailed off. I think it kind of affected him since he went to Dortmund as well, but I think he's a really good manager. So uh, I think he would be a good fit at Palace. For Brighton, you're looking outside the box. Urs Fischer, Union Berlin. Just go and take a look at what he's done there. Just go and take a look at the current Bundesliga table. Have a look at last year's Bundesliga table. Have a look at the year before when they weren't there. He, he's a really, really good coach. And I think he's someone that would fit well with Brighton's approach. I think he's someone that, does deep dives into the analytical side of things. I think he puts great trust in the people he has around him. I think he 
encapsulates that kind of family spirit that Brighton want to be about. Union Berlin are very much about that as well. For Villa, I went big game hunting Marcelo Gallardo, River Plate, Copa Libertadores winner. One of the more highly regarded managers who's yet to make his way to Europe, but someone that has been linked to a number of big jobs. I think Villa could entice him with the promise of, you know, big bags of money and money to spend. So I think he could be a good fit there. Some of the players would have to say goodbye. Um, he would have none of Tyron Mings, which would be important. But yeah, that's who I'd go with there. For Brentford, I think Kasper Hjelmland, the uh, Danish national manager. I think he's, again, like Thomas Frank, he's tactically adaptable. They love a Dane, so he fits the bill there. I think... I think he's one who's ready to make a move to a big club side after the World Cup. Not not necessarily a big club side, but a, a top five league. And I think the Premier League or the Bundesliga are the best fits that I'd like to see him in the Premier League. Uh, for Southampton, you're replacing Ralph Hasenhutl. This team has been pressing like demons for the last couple of years. You want someone that's going to play a similar enough shape, similar enough style, because you know you're not getting a whole lot of money to spend. Roger Schmidt. He is, it seems, going to Benfica this summer. I've chosen to ignore that. He does want to leave PSV Eindhoven. I think he's the one. For Newcastle, you've got all the money. Who's got all the money right now? Mercio Pochettino. Um, Pochettino, I think, wants to come back to the Premier League. I think he wanted that United job. It doesn't look like he'll get it unless Ten Hag turns it down. But if, if Newcastle wanted to be really ambitious, I think that's where they'd look. Oh, by the way, reports, reports from France that after the World Cup, Qatar will put PSG up for sale. You did hear that here first. I want to say it was last week. It could have been the week before, but you did hear that here first. I'm just going to let you drink that in. Lean into that one. Drink it in. There we go. Uh, Leeds, Ivan Juric of Torino, a mentalist. Um, someone who, like Bielsa, is very dogmatic and perhaps builds castles on sand, but he's just mad enough to do well at Leeds. They've obviously just put Jesse Marsh in, but even Juric would be funny. He is a uh, disciple of Zeman as well, so you know you can always fall in love with guys like that. Uh, for the Ev, you're looking for someone who's used to building something out of nothing. Now, they have pieces, and they're pieces that I think would really fit Christophe Galtier. I think he could do a really good job there. In, in what he would like to do, which is a 4-4-2, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin up front, Alan and Decoury in central midfield, Gordon one wing. I think he'd want a left winger. Patterson, Gordon, Patterson Godfrey, Mina, and Michael Enko at, in defence. That's, that's decent. 
upgrade on a land, get someone younger, fitter in there, someone that can cover a bit more ground, get that left winger. And I think you're good to go. I think you're good to go under Galtier. Uh, for Burnley, Christian Strike of Freiburg. Used to being in a small club, incredibly loyal, used to working under strict budget restrictions, always overachieves. He is the German Sean Dyche, but plays better football. So that would be a nice change for Burnley fans. Uh, for Watford, Luciano Spalletti, because why not? A past their best Italian manager? Doesn't that just sound like a Watford appointment? And for Norwich, I was trying to think of, because obviously they've got Dean Smith. Now, I do think Stuart Weber would be very thorough in his uh, managerial appointments. So I did think Steve Clark here is kind of a Scottish Dean Smith, but I've gone for Marcelino of Athletic Bilbao because there's enough similarities in how he wants to play and how Smith wants to play. He's a bit more, a bit more like locked in defensively, uh, but they're similar enough in, in terms of their profile. So I'll go with him. I'll go with him. Ten Hag to City, Flick to Liverpool, Simeone to Chelsea, Amram to Spurs, De Zerbi to Arsenal, Valverde to West Ham, Lupetegui to United, Abel Ferreira to Wolves, Sione to Leicester, Rose to Palace, Fisher to Brighton, Gallardo to Villa, Hulman to Brentford, Schmidt to Southampton, Pochettino to Toon, Urich to Leeds, Galtier to Everton, Strike to Burnley, Spalletti to Watford and Marcelino to Norwich. Hope that answers that one for you. The second question then came from MBQ87. Across all Premier League teams, you have to sell your most valuable player and replace him with two players to take you to the next level in competition. The rules are who do you sell and who do you buy? You can't use the same player twice. The players being sold can't be on expiring contracts. So nobody who's out of contract this summer. Oh, no. Right. Although you could pick them up and then spend the money on one player. Um, what is the ambition you're buying for? Is Champions League winning the league? Right. I've got one that I need to change because... Um, James Sarkowski is out of contract. So what I did was I picked, I used transfer market to just find out who they had rated as um, the highest value player at each club. And at Burnley, it is James Tarkowski. But he is out of contract this summer. I would imagine Dwight McNeil is the second most valuable player there. Yes, he is. Right. I'll move forward regardless. It's only one club. You let me away with one. Uh, I've gotten, because I, I can't be bothered redoing. Burnley, like it, it's hard enough trying to figure out players that would go there let, and, and, and fit into their wage structure. Uh, so Man City, right? Their most valuable player is Kevin De Bruyne. 
obviously the aim is win the league, win the Champions League. I tried to do this where the player I sold, I had to replace him directly unless they had an in-house replacement, in which case I could just pick a weakness. So there's not many weaknesses at Man City. I think we'll all agree that. I think they could use a backup left back. And obviously if I'm selling De Bruyne, I need a backup midfielder. Now he has played a lot of his football this season as a 10. So I went with Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who as a 10, he's not quite De Bruyne, but he is an exceptionally good player and I think would be rather unstoppable in the Premier League. I think he would be one that makes a lot of sense there. I think if you play him there and Foden as your false nine, Sterling and Mares maybe as your wide men, uh, I think you're in good shape. Um, back up left back, I've gone for Owen Window of Alkmaar. Um, just a very good attack-minded fullback. Needs work defensively, but he's a great athlete. And what Pep did seem to want in that position before he started breaking the laws was Benjamin Mendy, who, you know, is not the smartest footballer, not the most gifted footballer technically, but he's a great athlete there. So Wendell's a better technical player. He's as good an athlete. I've gone for him. Does it improve City? I don't know. I don't know. I think the two of them combined probably split even with De Bruyne. I think the gap from De Bruyne to Milinkovic-Savage is made up by the fact that you've now got a good left back. And if you want, you can now play Jean-Jacques say right back where he might be even more effective. So that's what I've done there. Uh, for Liverpool, Mohamed Salah is the most valuable player. I went with Rafinha to come in as his direct replacement as the right-sided forward. And then Christopher Nkunku, who replaces Salah's productivity. Between the two of them, they replace Salah's productivity. They bring down the average age. I think a long-term front three of Rafinha, Nkunku, and D- our long-term front four of Rafinha, Nkunku, and Diaz on the left behind Jota could be really interesting and could be really successful for Liverpool. So that's what I've got. Uh, for Chelsea, Lukaku is the obvious one to go, and he is the most valuable player at the club. I think Kai Havertz is the nine of their future, so I've gone for a goal-scoring wide player, Mikel Oyarzabal from Real Sociedad. I think he would fit like a glove into that team. I think his work rate, his intelligence, his movement, his passing ability, and his ability to finish would go up a level playing off someone like Kai Havertz. They're going to need help at centre-back this summer. I think they need help anyway, regardless of the fact that they're going to lose a couple. Jurian Timber of Ajax, I think, comes in. Again, you're buying a young player who's got huge upside, already a very good centre-back, but I think he's got huge potential. So he can elevate the level of that defence and Ayarzabal elevates the attack. Again, like with the, the top two, you're built, you're you're buying to try and buy or buy. You're trying to you're buying to try and build a title winning and Champions League winning team. And I think those two contribute to that. Um for Spurs, Harry Kane is the most obvious one. He's also the most valuable one. It's it's very hard to replace Harry Kane. It's very, very hard. I did think of Nkunku there. 
Um, but I've already used them. And I, I went, I literally went from the top down. So I just used players as and when I went through the teams. So I think you're looking for a number nine. I think you're looking for someone that you can use the focal point in your team, someone that does have good hold up play, someone that could link play. I think Isak has that type of potential. He's still young, he's still raw, he's still got a lot of smoothing out to do. But him and Kuloseski together long term, you've got Son who's guaranteed goals in this league. You can skew your attack a little bit so that Son is more your primary goal scorer, same way Liverpool do, where Isak can become more of a facilitator. He's capable of doing it, he's good enough on the ball. It'll just take time. Uh, left-sided centre-back is the next biggest need for them. So, Josko Guardiol, he's one that's been linked to them. He's perfect to play on the left of a back three. Him and Romero, either side of your back three, that's something you can build with with the next eight years. Um, Arsenal, the most valuable player is Bakayo Saka. So, I've replaced him with Noni Mudeki of PSV Eindhoven. Um some similarities in the games, left-footed attackers both like to play from the right, creative, good dribblers, can score goals. I think Noni's a great fit there. And uh, they need a number nine. I've gone for Darwin Nunes. I don't think they could get him, not being a Champions League team, but he is the one that I think would score an absolute bag full of goals for Arsenal. Um. West Ham, it's Declan Rice. I think Zambo and Gisa would be a great replacement. Now, I know I know Napoli have a, a buy clause on him for like 15 million, but I do wonder if you turn, turned around and offered them 30, would they take it? I think they might. I do think they might. Uh, their biggest need for me was a left back, so I went born, uh, Borna Sosa of Stuttgart. I think he'd be a really good fit. Uh, for Manchester United, it, it is Bruno. Unsurprisingly, it is Bruno. Um, I've decided to replace their attacking midfielder with a defensive midfielder. They've got Donny van de Beek who can just slot into Bruno's role. You need to play a 4-3-3. Simple as that. Sancho, Martial, Rashford. Donny, somebody, Fred. You've got Shaw. We're going Varane and Lindelof at centre-back. Henderson in goal. We're bringing in Max Ahrens at right-back. Now, there are more spectacular options. There's bigger names. But Max Ahrens as an attacking right-back, linking with Jadon Sancho as your right-winger, that is something that can become the creative hub of your team. That is something that will cause carnage. That's what we're doing here. Uh, On to Wolves. Ruben Neves is the most valuable player um i've decided to replace him with a slightly different type of midfielder ibrahim sanger a more defensive minded player who can be more of a ball winner make you a little bit more dynamic so i've gone for him uh this was in part because i believe their manager wants to play a 4-2-3-1 and i think sanger in a double pivot next to either dendonker or moutinho could be quite good uh, they need a centre-back to go with Max Kilman. I have decided Ozan Kabak is the one that would be good value and a good fit in Bruno Lage's system. For Leicester, it's Wilf Ndidi. A little bit surprised, thought it might be James Ma- uh, Madison, but it is Wilf Ndidi. 
Iliax Mareba of RB Leipzig is the midfielder that I'm bringing in to replace him. Um, slightly different type, but I think someone that can be really effective in the Premier League. He has not had a great time at Leipzig and is currently on loan back in Spain, I think with Valencia. And um, super talented, super talented. If he'd been better advised, he would have stayed at Barcelona, but he didn't. Um, their biggest need for me is a centre-back to go with Fafana. I think Soyuncu's gone too far the other way. So I'd be looking for a centre-back to partner Fafana. And who better than someone that's already partnered him? Somebody that doesn't look like he has a future at the club that currently own him. And that is William Saliba of Arsenal. Uh, I do wonder if there's maybe a little swapsy deal there. Ndidi for Saliba and a big bag of cash. Could be a deal for... Now, I, I think Tielemans for Saliba is the deal Leicester should be proposing. I'd be trying to keep Wilf Ndidi. But... Tielemans straight up for Saliba. I think that's a decent deal for both teams, to be honest. Um, for Crystal Palace, it is Wilf Zaha. So you're looking for someone that plays wide and scores goals. I've gone for Brennan Johnson of Nottingham Forest. I, I think he's a tremendous young player. And I think if I can have him and Michael Elise as my two wide forwards with Zaha as an eight, or sorry, Eze as an eight, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so Brennan Johnson, they need a right back. It's their biggest need. And Jed Spence is the one that makes sense to me. Now, he's also obviously at Forest at the minute himself, but he is owned by Middlesbrough, so I'm going to go for him. For Brighton, Eves Basuma. They don't need to replace him with another midfielder. They've got Mwepu, they've got Motor, and they've got Casado. I think they're okay. So, you can spend the money elsewhere. Two biggest needs for them, a centre-back and a striker. Now, I know Adam Webster plays normally on the left of the three. I'd rather see him play on the right of a three. So to fill the spot on the left of a three, I've gone for Pascal Streak from Leeds. I just think he's a very Brighton type of player. Can play in multiple positions, centre-back, holding midfield, left-back. Young, big potential. I think Streak's a good fit there. Uh, for striker, I've gone Maxi Gomez. He's gone off the boil, I think, but... I still think there's a good player there. I think he's gettable from Valencia. I don't think he's, his fee would be massive. He'd want decent wages. But I think he's gettable. I think you get both of them for what you get for Basuma. Uh, for Villa, I'm surprised it's Emi Buendia. I didn't think it would be, but it is. It's Emi Buendia. Um, I don't think they need to replace Emi Buendia, personally. Because, um, you know... We're just assuming they're keeping Coutinho. Um, needs are a holding midfielder and a centre-back. They're the two biggest needs they have. The best way to improve that team is to improve it defensively. Um, Maxence Lacroix is the centre-back. He just He's perfect. He is perfect for them to come in, replace Mings, and be the dominant leader of that defence. And at holding midfield, it's, I've actually gone to use Basuma. Um, it's not necessarily his best position. I do think he's better as a kind of box-to-box -box number eight, but he can be very, very good in that holding midfield position. And I think if you put him with Douglas Louise and Ramsey, that's a decent three. Uh, maybe Coutinho as a 10. And then 
Watkins plus I don't know Ings or Leon Bailey maybe as a front two. Um, Brentford, it's Ivan Tony. No surprise there. Uh, to replace him, I've gone Ben Brereton Diaz from Blackburn. Best best goal scorer in the championship who'll be available this year because Mitrovic won't be. Uh, Diaz had a Brereton Diaz had a really good season, so I think he'd be a decent fit. Different type of player to Tony, but one who's adaptable. And they need a right wing back, and I think Isaiah Jones of Middlesbrough is the fit there. Uh, for Southampton, James Ward-Prowse. To replace him, I've gone Nicholas Dominguez of Bologna. Just a midfielder who does a bit of everything. And their biggest need, I think, is, is a goalkeeper. So I've gone Andre Lunen, currently the backup, or he might even be third choice, at Real Madrid. Far too good to not be starting somewhere. That's who I've gone with there. Uh, for, for the tune, it's Alan St. Maximum. Uh, Straight replacement for him, Musa Diaby of Bayer Leverkusen. And uh, I think their biggest need oh, is, is a centre-back. I think you've got to start building that defence. They're just so frail at the back. So I've gone Loic Bade of... Um, I'm not massively in love with that pick. Do you know what? I'll go with Benoit Badiashile of Monaco, someone that they have been linked with. I'll go I'll go Badiashile there. For Leeds, it's Calvin Phillips. I've gone Guido Rodriguez of... Real Betis, uh, just a quality holding midfield player who can be a distributor of the ball. And they need a backup striker. Before I even consider anything else, you've got to get someone in so that if Bamford's not there, you're not playing Dan James up front. So I've gone Giovanni Simeone, son of Diego Simeone, um, who's just having a really good season and is a capable striker. has proven that at three different clubs in Syriana, and I think he's well suited to the Premier League with how he plays. For Everton, Richarlison is the one. So I've gone Dwight McNeil as the first signing to come in. So I mentioned earlier on when I was talking with Galtier about a 4-4-2 for Everton. But if Richarlison goes, I just pop Deli Ali into the team and go 4-2-3-1 with Gordon on the right wing, Deli behind Calvert-Lewin, and now Dwight McNeil on the left wing. I get to Curry in central midfield. I said I wanted a replace for him. Uh, João Paulinha of Sporting Lisbon is the one I've gone with here. I think he'd be a massive difference maker for them. And then the back four, like I mentioned, Patterson, Godfrey, Mina, Michael Enko. It's not bad. It's not a bad team all of a sudden. Uh, for Burnley, I, I put Tarkovsky. I, I know it breaks the rules. It is what it is. Um, Joe Worrell to replace him. Joe Worrell's just... Really, really good. Really, really good. Now, now, at this point, Burnley might not be able to get him, but I know they've had long-term interest. And I've gone David Turnbull of Celtic because I was looking for someone that could play on the right of a midfield four, tuck in, do all the dirty work, and add quality on the ball and be a really good crosser. And David Turnbull ticks all of those boxes. So if I've got him and McNeil on the wings, Veghorst and Cornet up front, Westwood and Brownhill with Cork in rotation as my midfielders. Worrell, Collins and me as my central defensive rotation. Charlie Taylor left back. You need a backup left back. 
Loughton and Connor Roberts as the right backs. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. And the problem is obviously they're not going to get anything for um for Tarkovsky. So I have broken the rules, but so be it. Uh, for Watford, Ishmael Asar is the most valuable player. Um, don't think they necessarily need to go and replace him because they do have Kuko Hernandez. They do have Emmanuel Dennis. They've got the other Nigerian kid they brought in in January. They've got Jean Pedro. They've got Josh King. So I think they're fine in attack. Um, so I decided to fix their defence instead because it's a train wreck. With Robert Dickey of QPR, who I just think is a very solid citizen at centre-back, commanding dominant aerially, I think he fixes a big part of the problem there. Whether it's a back three and he can play the middle role or a back two where him and Samir will be fine. And then I've gone for Ethan Ampadu, who's a player I really like, and he can play hold, he can play holding midfield or he can play as the right side centre-back or the middle centre-back in a three. So if you're playing a back four, he's a holding midfielder. If you're playing a three, you can play right side of the middle. I, I think Ampadu would be a very good signing for Watford. And then for Norwich, obviously it's Max Ahrens. So to replace him, I've gone Jaden Bogle of Sheffield United. Similar type of player. Just a, a, at this point, a slightly lesser version, but one with a lot of potential. And I needed a striker because, well, Norwich don't score enough goals. So Eddie Nketiah of Arsenal, he's also on a free, which will be a big help. So you'd only have to pay a compensation fee uh, and nothing more. So that is that. I hope that answers that question for you. Uh, I hope that's okay. Sorry about the Tarkovsky thing, but I, I can't redo it. I can't redo it. I can't, because you're losing Tarkovsky anyway. So if I if I lose, um, I mean, you could say, McNeil, we lose Tarkovsky anyway, and I, I just roll with Goodmanson as my as my left winger or, you know, whatever. Goodmanson will be fine there. It's not ideal. Uh, I can play Cornet there. Again, not ideal, but it's not the worst thing in the world. I've got Vidra and Rodriguez to play up front. So it's fine. Tur- Turnbull and Joe Worrell are the two players I'd look to bring into Burnley regardless. A um, couple of good things for you to read on the BBC website. Uh, Derby's prospective owner, Mr. Kirchner, Chris Kirchner, has indicated Wayne Rooney will remain in charge of the club next season. Um, he said that Rooney has told him he's staying. Remains to be seen what happens if they go down. Let's just put it that way. Remains to see what happens if they go down. Um, David Unsworth is leaving his position as the academy manager at Everton to pursue managerial positions elsewhere. So he is the academy director and under-23s manager and has been for years now. That's a big blow for Everton. That's something they'll need to address come the summer. Uh, Freddie Rincon, former Colombian captain, is in critical condition after suffering severe head injuries in a car crash. Wow. Freddie Rincon was a baller. Absolute baller. Hopefully he makes a recovery. Him and Valderrama together. Sensational. Sensational footballers. Uh, thoughts with him. 
Uh, there's a good profile on Eric Ten Hag, which I would uh, advise everybody to read. And there's a good profile by Raj Chon on Karim Benzema, how Karim Benzema became one of the world's top strikers. Should know Raj from social media. Uh, that's a really good piece. I actually, I read it and didn't realize it was him that wrote it. Really, really good piece. Fair play. Well done, Raj. Um, or Dr. Raj, as he is to you people. He's Raj to me, Dr. Raj to the rest of you. We'll finish with the gossip and get done for the day. Paris Saint-Germain have made Paul Pogba a priority signing. We'll see. Ruben Neves is a target for Arsenal. Would make sense. Would make sense. Uh, him next, Thomas Partey. Allow Partey a bit more freedom. You'd wonder about foot speed defensively, though. About kind of touchline to touchline mobility. Could be a little bit of a factor there. Now, he might be a better fit with Lakonga. So we'll wait and see. Lakonga is not quite Premier League caliber just yet, anyway. So, as I said before, I would look, be looking for two midfielders if I'm Arsenal, because I'd probably look to move Partey on. Even though I think he's excellent, his age profile doesn't fit with the rest of what you've got. Uh, Robert Lewandowski plans to leave Bayern Munich in the summer and has agreed terms and move to Barcelona. Well, let's see if Barcelona can fulfil the terms that Bayern are going to set out to buy their player. And if I'm Bayern, and I have he have heard this, number one, I'm going straight to UEFA and saying, hang on a second here, how are they talking to my player? And number two, I'm telling Robert Lewandowski, you best get ready to hold the bench, son, because that's where you're going to be next year, because you're not going anywhere. Lewandowski could leave Bayern in the summer, but talk about an agreement with Barcelona is premature, says another outlet. He's set to hold initial talks over a new deal with his current club in the coming weeks. Manchester City are ready to trigger a £50 million buyout of Mikel Moreno of Real Sociedad. Really? His name's popped up a couple of times. He's good. Don't think he's that good. Pep Guardiola is keen on adding River Plate midfielder Enzo Fernandez to his squad, having monitored the 21-year-old Argentine after City signed Julian Alvarez in January. Antonio Conte wants to make Dejan Kulisevsky's loan deal permanent. I think it's obvious that that's the most sensible thing Spurs could do. Besiktas left-back Ridian Yilmaz could link up with Turkey international teammate Kaglasioncu at Leicester, with the Foxes preparing a €10 million Euro bid to beat off competition from Torino and Stuttgart. Don't know much about him, so can't really comment. Uh, NBA chairman Larry Tenenbaum and Facebook co-founder Eduardo Saverin have joined a consortium headed by Stephen Paluca in bidding for Chelsea. I mean, the problem with consortiums is you get far too many people in a room, all of them want something, and eventually, eventually they just all make a big old mess of things. Eventually, they just find a way to ruin things. 
And no doubt, no doubt at all, one of these consortiums will buy Chelsea and within a year, we're going to hear of power battles. Uh, Larry Tenenbaum's an interesting character. Uh, he owns the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment that own the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he also owns Toronto FC. Under his watch, the Raptors have become one of the better run franchises. The Maple Leafs are good now, but have gone through years and years have been trash. TFC had a couple of great years, but have largely been trash. Um, yeah, he is very Toronto-centric. Surprised at this point he hasn't tried to buy the Blue Jays. I think that's probably the only pro sports team he doesn't own. He owns the Argonauts. He owns the Marlies, who are the sort of feeder team for the, for the Maple Leafs. He owns Raptors 905, their feeder team, or their development team, I suppose. The only thing he doesn't own, I think, I think, is the Blue Jays. I'm surprised he hasn't tried. Um, but he's 75, so he's like, I can't see him being asked, getting involved in Chelsea. Uh, Darwin Nunes will leave Benfica this summer, says the spoofer. Despite strong in- interest, in Nunes, Arsenal slipped down the pecking order behind Manchester United, Chelsea and PSG. Believe me when I tell you Manchester United will be behind Chelsea and PSG, but I don't know that either of them will actually be in from because they may not have money, Chelsea and PSG. Uh, Liverpool and Belgium striker Divock Origi has agreed a deal with AC Milan. Best of luck to him. Aston Villa's Danny Ings could be offered to Brighton in a swap deal for Ease Basuma. That's actually not a bad idea. That's not bad at all, to be fair. Uh, Brighton's Leandro Trossard is a target for Newcastle. He's a very good player. He's a very good player. Romelu Lukaku could end up back at the San Siro, as Massimo Moratti says Inter Milan have a difficult decision to make between signing him and signing Paolo Dybala. Sign both. Latour Martinez for Lukaku, and then bring in Dybala on a free. Job done. There's your strike partnership. You're welcome. Manchester United are lining up Robin Van Persie as a coaching assistant. They, these are all hilarious. Like, every every day there's a new one of these. Like, this guy is going to be the assistant to Ten Hag. No, no, it's this other fella. And, like, there's absolutely no reason that any of them should be his assistant manager. Surely he should just pick his own backroom staff. Surely that's something he should do. Like, Van Persie's the assistant manager at Feyenoord to Arnie Slot. He has been for like a year and a half. What can he offer Eric Ten Hag? Genuine question. What can he offer Eric Ten Hag? Not a whole lot. So, hush. Tottenham could take advantage of Juan Cuadrado's stall contract talks to snatch the 33-year-old. Why would they want to? Juventus centre-back Giorgio Cialini has not ruled out the 37-year-old moving to Major League Soccer in the United States. With Italy out of the World Cup, 
yeah, I think he, I think he goes this summer, uh, plays a couple of years over there, kicks people up in the air. That side of the pond, why not? Why not? There's the worst looking back page I've ever seen sitting here in front of me. Uh, it's apparently about Thomas Tuchel, and then there's just Jack Grealish in an armchair. Grealish on Pep, his hundred million price tag, and those calves mortified, absolutely mortified for the poor journalist whose interview has been given that tagline. That is, Jesus Lord wept. I'm going to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy those games tonight. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.